0: Good morning to Royal Gear Community Church. Thank you to those joining us here in person and those are who are online. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. My wife and I were talking this past week about Easter and how you feel like you're in the season of Lent for forty days and then there's this one Sunday of Easter celebration. It feels like it comes and it goes but the Easter uh, it's a season within the church calendar it's it's forty days of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and every time we gather on a Sunday uh, we celebrate that reality and um, this morning we talk about it with transformers, which is so cool. I love that video um, that whole picture of being transformed. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be beginning a a, a two-part series looking at the church. Um, The passage that the Cathan family read for us this morning is a fantastic post-Easter message. It talks about all the realities of what Jesus' death has accomplished uh, for us. Because Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, uh, there's certain spiritual realities that are at work. Jesus is our representative before God. Uh, he, he is the reason that we are able to have just this unhindered access to God, which is this amazing thing that we cannot lose sight of. And in our text that was read for us, uh, there's three commandments given, three exhortations given uh, to, to the author of uh, the recipients of that letter. And each one begins with the, the words, let us. Let us. So first we have the the exhortation to let us draw near to God. The second is let us hold fast to our confession. And the third is let us consider how we can encourage one another. So Pastor Norb and I want to take the next two weeks to look very closely at this consider how we can encourage one another exhortation. We're going to zoom in to that one exhortation and unpack Some ideas around the church. Uh, Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you're just checking out Christianity and the church. Uh, If that's you, hopefully you're going to learn a whole lot this morning about what the church is and what it does. What we even mean when we say church. Uh, Maybe you've been around the church for a number of years, and so this morning perhaps it will be a refresher for you, as well as, I pray, an encouragement to you that will kind of get you excited about the reality that you and I share in participating in the church of God. This past week my family was in Canmore, and uh, you know, it was good to get away, and my little two-and-a-half-year-old didn't want to do anything else but play at the playground. You know, Canmore has this great playground. And I'm kind of there at the playground with her. And there's a part of me that's lamenting the fact that I'm in Canmore. And all we're doing is hanging out at a playground. I'm like, come on. Edmonton has great playgrounds. There's, we could do this at home. Why did we dra- travel four hours with a four-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old to play at a playground? And I think it was my wife who was like, Adam, just like, look around you. And I start looking around me and like, man… The glory and the majesty of the mountains just like in my face. And it was just like, oh yeah, we're in the mountains. I think that sometimes our understanding of the church is a little bit like that. You and I can have experiences with the church or interactions with the church, and it's like the playground. We get stuck on something about it. Maybe it's our weekly attendance. Maybe it's a small group we're a part of. Maybe we've had a bad experience with the church, and we're kind of stuck in this playground. But when we look at the New Testament, we see an an illustration, a picture of what the church is meant to be. And I want to suggest to us that that's like taking our eyes off of a single place and looking up and seeing this beautiful, amazing, majestic, glorious thing that God has created. His church. His bride. So this morning, I want to do a few things. The first, I want to talk about who we are collectively as the church. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church. That is just a reality uh, that is inherent to you. Um, and so we'll talk about what that le- means and looks like. Secondly, I want to talk about what we do as a church. What does it mean that we're a church? How do we engage in the world as a church? How do we engage in the lives of one another as a church? And then thirdly, I want to talk about our passage this morning that says, let us not give up meeting together. And that, of course, sparks all sorts of things in our minds, given the current situation, the pandemic, and um, all that's going on in the world. And so I want to talk a bit about that. How do we be the church in this time of physical distancing? And then finally, I want to talk about some things that maybe get in the way of us engaging in church as the way that we should. So lots to cover. That's why I'm using my iPad. I'm hopefully just going to like fly through these things. So hopefully uh, stick with me this morning. I'll try to be as crystal clear as I can. Um, But let me pray and we'll jump right into all of this. Father God, we thank you so much that as we gather here together this morning, you are present with us. And Lord, however we are coming this morning, much like my experience in Canmore, our eyes can be so fixed on these different issues, these different things. And sometimes it's difficult for us to take our eyes off of one thing and reorient ourselves by seeing the glory and the beauty of the majesty that is all around us. So God, fill our hearts with wonder this morning, I pray. As we talk about your church, may we be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. So who are we? Who are we? When we say that we are the church, what does that mean? Well, I think that the, the fundamental piece to this is the recognition that we are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 read that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter here writing to a group of believers, uh, several different groups of believers, he's identifying to them that there was a way that they once were. A people separated from God who did not know God's mercy, who were not God's people, but who are now God's people, who have now received mercy. Mercy, And he calls them a royal priesthood, which is to say that they're God's representatives. He calls them a holy nation, which is very interesting. Because when we think nation, we think geographical boundaries. We think landmarkers. But what Peter is highlighting for us is that as, as a church, as Christians, we are part of a nation and we are part of a people that do not exist within physical boundaries. But we are part of a kingdom that does not know any boundaries. That we worship a king who is not of this world. That our allegiance is to one who is Jesus Christ, who is exalted and seated in heaven. And we are his people. So yes, while we may be Canadians and Edmontonians living in a particular place at a particular time, what transcends us for us as Christians is this reality that we are God's people. His holy nation. It is otherworldly in a sense. And friends, what I love about this, especially when we talk about Jesus as our king, we see that what unites us is so much greater than anything that could ever divide us. So we are God's people. And because we are God's people, another important part of our identity is that we are a family. We are a family. The New Testament talks a lot about us Um, being children of God. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, we read that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now just a quick note, the the use of the word son, it's not meant to be gender exclusive. There's theological reasons why uh, the writer is using the phrase son, but it's not to exclude women in any way, shape, or form, uh, to bring it into our language. We are children of God. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he said it would be better for us that he goes away to heaven. Why? Because he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a seal in our hearts through which we cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. And so there's this familial relationship that's going on between us and God. And so within the church, we rightfully call one another brothers and sisters. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with with the saints and members of the household of God. I am your brother. That is a reality in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. God is our Father. These are realities for us as believers. As those who are Christians. As those who have received the Spirit of God. That is a huge element of our identity in the church. Another part of our identity is that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27, Paul gets right to it. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now I think there's two layers to this. In the context of what Paul is talking about, he unpacks this reality that when we come together as believers, we each represent a different part. And that each part has its place among the whole. And that each part actually needs and depends on the other parts. So it's a call for unity. It's also a call for us to recognize that each one of us has a unique gifting. Each one of us has something to offer the greater community. And so in being the body of Christ, and Paul talks about how Christ is the head, we have gifts in which we can serve one another. But I think the other reality of this is the idea that you and I, We become the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, in our church, as well as in the world. Now this is a very important thing that sometimes we miss. When Christians are feeling uh, lost or, or wondering where God is, feeling like, God, where is your presence? Where are you? I am confident that one of the ways God answers those prayers or those desires is through Christian community. You know, sometimes we pray, it's like we're seeking some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling from God. We might not always get warm, fuzzy feelings. I had a pastor once who said, warm, fuzzy feelings are a really bad way to determine if God's with you because you can have warm, fuzzy feelings about a piece of pizza. And I was like, yeah, you can have a warm, fuzzy feeling about a piece of pizza. But in the context of the church, when we're feeling lost, when we're feeling alone and and abandoned, there is a reality that the, the fellowship that we experience... With one another. Is as if Jesus Christ is physically with us. When a Christian brother and sister gives a hug to another Christian brother and sister. I believe we can rightfully say it is as if Jesus Christ himself is giving that person a hug. When a Christian brother or sister is comforting another Christian brother or sister. We can confidently say that person is being comforted by Jesus Christ himself. These are just some of the realities of what it means to be the body of Christ. And then this extends to our work in the world. As we go about our, our lives in our various places of influence, we get to be Jesus. His hands and his feet in our schools, in our workplaces, at the grocery store, in restaurants that we find ourselves in, in the parks, in the fields, in our recreation. We are Jesus to this world. So we are a family, we are the body of Christ, and the New Testament also talks about us being a spiritual house. First Peter chapter two, Peter writes that you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter establishes that Jesus was the cornerstone, that in him all things hold together, and he was rejected. But now the church is Jesus looking at these individuals and saying, the ones that he's called, the people of God. He says, you're a stone and you're a stone and you're a stone. And he puts them all together to build what Peter calls a spiritual house, which is an eternal dwelling place for the Spirit of God. And we look at the Old Testament, we see the temple and the tabernacle. These were places where the Spirit of God was dwelling uh, among the people of Israel. And Peter is saying, there is no more tabernacle, there is no more temple, but now it is the people of God. It is the church. And the Spirit of God is indwelling His people. Which, what does that mean? Well, the tabernacle and the temple was meant to be a a representation of God to the nations. And so similarly, as we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, we carry the Spirit of God with us, being His representatives wherever we find ourselves. So that is in no way exhaustive to talk about who we are as the church. But we are the chosen people. We are God's people. We are a family. We are the body of Christ. We are a spiritual house. But well, what do we do? What do we do as God's people? Well, I think central to what we do is we gather. <laughs> we gather We can look at um, what we would call a biblical theology of gathering, which is looking at Genesis to Revelation and unpacking the theme of gathering. And if you're into biblical theology, you've got to come check out Equip, God's Big Picture, because that's what we're all about, this this intake, is looking at uh, biblical themes. Um, But this idea of gathering, we see God taking the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery in the book of Exodus, and he brings them, he gathers them to a mountain. And at that mountain, God speaks to them. They receive his word and God enters into a relationship with the people of Israel. It's called a covenant. We're actually talking about this Monday night at Equip if you're interested to learn more about this. Um, I'm throwing out all the plugs. And so God enters into a relationship with his people at the base of the mountain. And the thing that we see throughout uh, in, in Exodus, this emphasis of all the people of Israel being there. God has gathered them together. They become the people of God. We flash forward uh, to the New Testament. Jesus climbing up a mountain. Matthew writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes up a mountain. His disciples come to him. And Jesus teaches them. They receive his word. Matthew chapter 8. It talks about the disciples of Jesus leaving the mountain. A lot like the picture we get in Sinai. So Jesus gathers... His disciples to Him. And then we see the birth of the church. A community that gathered and met together. Acts chapter 2 talks about them gathering daily. Engaging in Christian worship. This is where we get the word church. What does church mean? Church, very simply, uh, the Greek ekklesia, is we're the called out ones. Or more accurately, the ones who assemble. The assembly. That's what we mean when we say church. It's the assembly of believers or the called out ones. Called out by who? Called out by God. God has called out his people from this world. He's called them together. And we come together as the body of Christ, as that spiritual house, as that family. And church, this assembly, becomes the most common term used in reference to the early church in the New Testament. A suggested definition of church then, we could say, is that the church is a gathering together of, by God, the Father, of His children through the unity given by the Spirit around King Jesus to listen to, receive, and obey the Word of God as given by Jesus so that they might enjoy the Father's fellowship and blessing in Christ through the Spirit and become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the core of what we do as Christians is we gather as the core to what we do. What do we do when we gather? Well, we listen and we respond. What do we do when we gather? We listen and we, we respond. This is the picture we have at Mount Sinai when God is speaking to his people. It's the picture we get of Jesus with his disciples. He teaches them. God gives his word and his people Listen to and respond to that word. Acts chapter 6, we have an interesting social justice case where the widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. This is a problem. People are going hungry. What do the apostles do? In Acts chapter 6 verse 2, we read these words that it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They put the priority of the word of God above social justice in their context, which is a really interesting thought. Now, does this mean they neglected the widows? Absolutely not. They appointed people to go and minister to the widows, but the apostles themselves said, no, our job, our role within this community, we need to be about the Word of God. So we listen to and we respond to God's Word as a community as we gather. What else do we do? Well, we worship. We worship in a lot of different ways. Worship is not just singing. Um, but part of our worship, we celebrate baptisms where people come to our community and they, they profess that they have been transformed by Jesus and they, they identify with him in his death and um, burial, which is going under the water, and then coming up to new life and we celebrate with them. In addition to this, we take communion together, sharing of the same cup and the same bread, remembering what Jesus has done for us on his death on the cross. We do recognize that a lot a big part of our gathering is music. Ephesians chapter five. Uh, Paul is instructing the church to not be drunk on wine, but to instead be filled with the Spirit of God. He says that we need to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we worship together. And in addition to this in our worship is that we live lives of obedience. Worship, again, is not just singing. It's not attending a service. But it's living our lives before God in such a way that says, God, you are worthy of everything I am. May every decision I make honor you. May every choice honor you. That is our worship. So, the gathered people of God, we listen, we respond, we worship. What else do we do? We fellowship. We fellowship. Now, many sermons could be preached on fellowship. Um, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says that fellowship simply means that we share life with one another. And he actually proposes that the word fellowship is a better word. Uh, than Christian in the New Testament. Christian, of course, means little Christs. That's what Christian means. And uh, we can read about that. I think it's Acts chapter 11. Uh, The reference to the believers being called Christians was actually very tongue-in-cheek. They were kind of making fun of them. Oh, you're little Christs. Uh, It was a joke. But, you know, as a community over the years, we've come to embrace it, that we are Christians. But Scott McKnight says a better word would be the fellowship. The fellowship of those who identify with the person of Jesus. And fellowship, we could, t- again, talk about this a lot. But very simply, it, it is a deep sharing. You know how we try to get kids to share their apple juice? You know, that's like, you just need to, be sh- you just need to share what you have. Just be nice. It, it's, it's like that times a million. <laughs> it's the deep sharing of our lives. That is what fellowship is about. It's coming together and doing life together. It's not just touch points on Sunday. That's not just fellowship. Fellowship is is living our lives, sharing our lives with one another. That you know about my strengths and my weaknesses. That you know about my joys as well as my sorrows. That we walk together towards Jesus. That is the picture of fellowship we have in the New Testament. So we come together, we listen, we respond, we worship, we fellowship. And the last one I would like to point to, although this is not exhaustive, is that we engage in mission. We engage in mission. Now again, I think there's two facets of this. First of all, we engage in mission among one another. Jesus says in John that a, great, a greater, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. So one of our missions in the context of our church, is to love one another. We love and care for one another. But then beyond that, we engage in mission in the world. To use the language of Matthew chapter 28, we engage in mission by making other disciples. Or, in the, in the language of, not or, but and, both and, the language of Acts chapter 1, we are witnesses of God. Which means that we take the experiences, the things that we've come to learn about Jesus, and we share those things with others, So friends, all of this is in the context of gathering. The identity pieces that I talked about. Being a family, being the body of Christ, being a spiritual house. These things, we experience these things in the context of being together. And then we engage in these actions of listening and responding. The actions of worship, of fellowship, and engagement in mission when we are gathered together. As I study the New Testament, I come to this conclusion that gathering together is not an option for Christians because God is the one who has called us and summoned each and every one of us to come together around the person of Jesus. To reject this invitation of God to come and be together, to reject that invitation is simply ridiculous. And I think that this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at when he says not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So friends, we are to consider the ways in which we can keep ourselves experiencing what it means to be the church. When he says that we need to let us consider how we encourage one another. Not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. Now this word neglecting, this idea of neglecting being together that we have in our text this morning. You could translate it giving up as they do in the, new, in the NIV. Or you could translate it as forsake, which is the word used in the King James Version. It's the same word that Jesus uses on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the type of forsaking that the author of Hebrews is telling us not to do in relation to our Christian fellowship. Do not neglect, do not forsake, do not abandon one another. And the instruction is for us to meet together, to gather. But I need to stop here and say that the New Testament picture here is not about attending a weekly worship service. That's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about. When we look at uh, the New Testament to understand how the church gathered, we have to look at the the Jewish use of the synagogue. The synagogue was a place that the whole of the Jewish life was incorporated. They did everything together. Acts chapter 2, at the end of it, it, communicates this to us, that the fellowship of the believers was something that they experienced daily. It was that fellowship, that deep sharing. Their lives were enmeshed in one another's lives. Most New Testament scholars would say that Christians were, it was, the identity was so deep that this was their new family. Their ties to their church were deeper and greater than the ties that they had to their own biological families. Because the Spirit of God was uniting them. These are powerful things for us to think about. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't neglect being together. Don't neglect this fellowship that you were designed to experience. Don't neglect this fellowship that you are called to experience. That is the invitation. And so with that, I want to say to us that we can, we can neglect meeting together while attending a weekly worship service we can neglect meeting together while attending a weekly worship service. Because we neglect meeting together when we allow ourselves to see no value in being with other brothers and sisters of Christ. And we neglect meeting together when we reduce a church service to a few songs and a talk and miss the coming together of the people of God, both those who are like us and those who are unlike us. So now to the burning question. What about this season of the church? What about these COVID-19 realities? What about the government policies that seem to infringe on our Christian worship? How are we to think about a passage like Hebrews 10 verse 25 in a time of physical distancing? I just wrote a paper for my master's um, theology class in I, I, the title of it is Digitally Embodied. It's a critique on online church. Um, and that's just the reality. We are in digitally embodied in this time. Which doesn't work, right? To say that, that we're embodied is to say that we're physically together. It's, it's a living thing. It's together. But to say that it's digital is to say that it's not physical. And it's like, ugh. And that's been our reality. Now, I need to be incredibly crystal clear on this. What I am not saying and what I do not believe Scripture is saying is that we all need to come back next week to the in-person service. Those of you who are at home this morning, you are not being disobedient. I believe that wholeheartedly. That is not what the author is getting at. That is not what he means by neglecting meeting together. So that's not what I'm saying to you is that you have to be here in this room on Sunday morning. That is not what this is about. What I think it is about is that in this time, we have to consider how we foster and grow our sense of fellowship in a way that continues to to recognize the times that we are in. Now, I believe that there is a biblical precedent for the use of technology, and there's a biblical precedent for us worshiping in unique ways in, in unique situations, the Apostle Paul, for example, used a modern technology as a way to stay connected to churches. Did you ever think about that? How did Paul communicate with his brothers and sisters of Christ? Paul was in prison. Paul was very physically distanced from the church in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi. What did he do? He devoted himself to writing letters he took, he took opportunities to visit with other brothers and sisters when they came to him. But he used letter writing as a way to stay connected. However, Paul maintained a conviction that that wasn't the full thing. That that wasn't quite enough. And he writes in Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 11, that I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. Paul recognized the limitation of letter writing, and he longed for a greater connection and friends, I think that is what we need to cling to in this season we can 't let that flame, that fire, that desire in our hearts to be with other believers to get snuffed out in this season while we use other means to maintain our fellowship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about this in his seminal work i 'm um, blanking on life together i think i 'm blanking on the title um, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer is reflecting on the Jews who are in exile, the Babylonian exile, who cannot worship at the temple the way they believe God commanded them to. I forget the exact psalm, but there's a psalm where it it talks about, we sat by the rivers of Babylon and we wept. Friends, that's been the church in this season. We sit in front of our TV screens, we watch a live stream service, and we weep. Because we cannot be together the way that we want to be together. But does God rebuke them? No, Jeremiah chapter 29 says that God tells them to sit tight, to honor the, the people that they're living among, to plant gardens, to get married, to settle in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also looks at John sitting on in exile on the island of Patmos, all by himself. John couldn't worship. He couldn't go to a worship service. He couldn't connect with his churches. But the fervor in his heart brought him to his knees where he's worshiping on the Lord's day. And what happens? The Spirit of God visits him. He has a vision of seven churches. He sees the living Lord and Jesus Christ come to him. He experiences a fellowship in his solitary confinement by the grace of Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes these words that yet what is denied to them, what was denied to John, what was denied to the Babylonian exiles as an actual experience they seized upon more fervently in faith. They did not neglect the fellowship. They did not allow the desire to be with other believers get snuffed out because they were in exile or because they were in some sort of solitary confinement. They longed for more. So friends, we use the technology that is available to us and we do everything we can to experience the fellowship that the New Testament describes for us while we wait for restrictions to ease and for us to all be back together in the way that we once were but we do what we can. We stop focusing on what we cannot do and we embrace what we can do because it is an awful lot that we can do. Our home groups, many of them are meeting online. Some of them are meeting in parks currently because they can. They're committed to still being together during this time. I hear stories of people going for walks with others, asking, how can I pray for you? How can I support you in this time? They're experiencing fellowship. Phone calls, texts, emails, all of these things. A means for encouraging one another. A a way of saying, I know we can't physically be together the way that we once were. But I'm going to do everything we can to maintain our fellowship. Friends, I believe that's what Hebrews 10.25 is getting at. The key is that we maintain our longing and our desire to be together. Because we are better together. So, I think the flip side in this consider passage, let us consider how to encourage one another, is that we need to consider what contributes to us neglecting one another. We need to consider in this time what is contributing to us neglecting one another. I'm going to touch on these very fast. I think, obviously, a massive thing that is contributing to us neglecting one another is the disembodied reality of church online. Simply put, we aren't rubbing shoulders the way that we used to. And there's a couple elements to this. First is that there's this reality that for some, technology is very difficult to use. The reality of technology is that it privileges those with technological resources and know-how. So as a church, we need to be so mindful of those in our context who are not good with technology. Those who aren't even able to use, uh, to, to view a live stream service. We need, to be, we need to recognize how online church excludes other people. In addition to this, we need to recognize that not being together means that we are not interacting with those who are different than us. Something I missed in my notes, uh, when we talk about fellowship, Christian fellowship is meant to be radically different than the fellowship of the world in the sense that it's supposed to bring unlikes together. When, Paul, uh, when Paul's writing his letters, he has this massive emphasis on the fact that Jews and Gentiles are now worshiping together. The church is supposed to be a picture of multi-ethnic, multi-generational, representing multiple socio-economic backgrounds at church. The rich and the poor come together. Those of different racial backgrounds come together. Those of different generations come together. And not only do we come together, but we love one another. We are friends with one another. We develop relationship with one another. One of the problems with online church is that we miss the opportunity to be with those who are different than us. Because there are people who we would not naturally pursue in other contexts in general. So those are two massive issues with the disembodied reality of church online. It puts us out of touch with people. And so we need to look at that and recognize, okay, what do I need to do then? To stay in touch. What efforts do I need to give? The second massive issue that I believe is contributing to us neglecting one another is pervasive consumerism. Pervasive consumerism. I think there's an element of personal consumerism, which is this idea that um, I just, you know, I want good worship and I want a good sermon. And here's the reality. You guys can hear way better sermons and way better worship online any day. And if you're one of those people, you've probably already tuned out because you're like, yeah, this guy, he's not that great. Um, And you just click and you go to the next thing. Church shopping, when people are looking for a church, used to involve people coming to a church and sitting through a service. Now, within seconds, they can listen to and view and attend, but not really, six or seven churches in an hour by means of the internet. And it's all about asking, what do I like? A friend of mine who lives in Three Hills Alberta is attending church at Holy Trinity Brompton. Holy Trinity Brompton is Nicky Gumbel's church, uh, which is the guy who started Alpha. It's in London. Why is he attending church in London? Because he doesn't like his church's live stream or any of the other live streams in the Three Hills area. Friends, that breaks my heart. And it causes me to ask the question, have we made worship about us rather than God as we search for that which appeals to our senses rather than that which resonates with our soul and brings us to deeper submission with Jesus and greater fellowship with others. Worship isn't about you. Church isn't about you. It's not about taking in things that make me happy. Am I made happy here? Absolutely. But sometimes I'm infuriated. Sometimes I don't like the worship. And sometimes I'm the worship leader. I don't like the worship. But it's not about me Feeling better about things. It's about being part of a community. Friends, your pastors are here. We know your name. My friend, God bless him. Nikki Gumbel doesn't know his name. Nikki Gumbel doesn't know anything about him. But in his local context, that pastor would know him. That pastor would pray for him. And we're not here. Your pastors here at TCC, we're not here to entertain you or aid in you fulfilling some sort of felt spiritual obligation, we want to journey with you as you journey with others in this congregation. And friends, that is incredibly hard, but it's worth it. And we want to do that with you. The other issue with consumerism is relational consumerism. Uh, A book on friendship by Lydia Denworth, Uh, she did a bunch of research on online friendships. And the research is very mixed. There's actually a lot of great benefits to online friendships. But one of the major downsides that she highlights is from research that notes that as people, we choose who we connect with and that we are hardwired to protect our core relationships. Now that makes sense, right? This is the scary part, is that we do that to the exclusion of those who do not qualify. So we end up with a consumerism in the church that says, I just want to protect my relationships. I just want my family. I want my people. And we do that to the exclusion of everyone else. And as your pastor, as someone who talks to many of you, I know many of you are longing for friendship. Many of you don't have friends, but you're waiting for people to come to you and to be your friends. But you're not willing to cross the room and go talk to someone who seems different to yourself. But for all you know, that person could be your new best friend. Who prays for you, who weeps with you, who knows your joys and your sorrows. The third issue I see that is contributing to us neglecting one another is the issue of individualism. Individualism is within the church is the idea that it's just about me and God. But friends, the church is not about you. And frankly, your belief in God isn't actually about you. It's about God. It's about his glory. Being a Christian isn't about being a better person as you and I might understand being a better person. But it's about responding to the call of God by the power of God's Spirit and forsaking all ways of life contrary to the way that Jesus has called us to. Which means forsaking a worldview steeped in individualism. Scott McKnight says that the Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual, but it is especially about how we are doing as a church and how, what I am doing in that mix of others called the church. In the context of our passage, uh, commentator Philip Hughes writes about this idea of neglecting one another. He writes that such unconcern for fellow unbelievers argues an unconcern for Christ himself. That when we live neglecting the fellowship of the saints, when we live neglecting other believers, what does that say about our heart towards Jesus? When Jesus is one who called us to love God and love others, the one who called us to fellowship and to unity. And sadly, online church deeply contributes to the sense of individualism because we don't even have to get out of our pajamas, (laughs) let alone leave, leave our houses To feel like we've satisfied some sort of spiritual obligation. We can check off a list that we went to church and then go about our day, and in doing so, we ingrain ourselves in a mentality that their relationship with God is just about me and God. But it's not. So let me summarize the church is God's chosen people. It's a family, it's the body of Christ, a spiritual house. What do we do? We respond to the call of God and we gather. We are the called out ones. We assemble and we listen to the word of God. We worship, we fellowship, we engage in mission. We love one another. And in this time of physical distancing, we don't allow social distancing to creep in, right? But we with fervent hearts pursue fellowship in a way that is safe, in a way that is healthy, in a way that is honoring to our brothers and sisters and to our neighbor. And we long for it. We pursue it. We put work into it. We, We push through the hard parts. We keep sending texts. We keep sending emails. We keep picking up the phone even if no one's responding. We pursue Christian fellowship. And we fight against the disembodied realities of church online. We fight against consumerism. We fight against individualism because it is alive and well in me. And I'm sure many of you experience its pulls as well. Well, I've painted a pretty nice picture of the church, I think. Maybe I haven't. But one that I've compared the church to the majestic, glorious, rocky mountains... But many of you this morning might be sitting there thinking, that has not been my experience. The church has not been a family to me. The church has not been somewhere I feel loved or accepted or cared for. In fact, just the opposite has happened. Thank you very much. What do you do with that? Well, first you forgive. Friends, we need to be a forgiving people. The church will hurt you. And forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was okay Forgiveness is taking them off of your hook and putting them on God's. Forgiveness is extending to them the same mercy that Christ has given to you. So we forgive. And then as we forgive, we pursue the biblical picture of the church. We pursue unity. We pursue family. We pursue experiencing the the inworking of our spiritual gifts among one another as we experience the love of Jesus present in our midst. We pursue it. We chase it. We go after it. Even if we've been hurt in the past, we become part of the solution, not part of the problem. We don't say, well, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. We say, they hurt me, I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to go love six other people. (laughs) Because that's what Jesus did. And then finally, I would say to you, I am going to disappoint you. Terwilliger Community Church is going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. We're going to say things that offend you. You could probably, you're probably, some of you might be sitting at home thinking you want to write an email to tell me all the ways TCC has failed in doing the things that I'm talking about. And I would say yes and amen, we have. But we are committed to pursuing this vision of church. One where you feel you are part of a family. One where you feel that you are feeling and experiencing the love of God. But you will be hurt. That is the nature of family, I think, in some ways. But we keep forgiving. We keep pursuing the image that God has given us. So for some of us hearing this message, we need to make Sunday morning gatherings just more of a priority. We need to invest in rubbing shoulders with other Christians. We need to start attending so that we can have interaction with community in one way or another. For others, we need to consider who are some other Christians that we need to be more intentional with? Who are those people who've been coming to mind that you haven't heard from in a while? And then finally, some of us need to commit to pursuing others in the way that we want to be pursued. We need to pursue others in the ways that we want to be pursued. Because if we're all just sitting around waiting for someone to pursue us, it ain't going to happen. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Sorry I went long. Um, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are fresh in remembering and thinking about your resurrection from the dead. And Lord, we know that not only were you raised to life, but you ascended into heaven where you are seated at the right hand of the Father, God, where you sent your Holy Spirit there's a seal on our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, in doing that, you created this, this church, this gathered people, this assembly of believers. And Lord, you've called us to love one another as you have loved us. And Lord, we recognize that in this season, in this time, that feels different and awkward and difficult to do. But Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, just fill us up with hope and expectation. Lord, that we would be people who are pursuing fellowship. That we would be people who are pursuing extending love to those around us. That we would be people who are mindful of those in our Christian community who maybe we haven't heard from in a while. And God, help us to be the picture of the church that you give for us in the New Testament. Help us to be that picture, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.